are listening to, at any rate, J.P. Morgan's Global Research Podcast, where we take a look at the story behind some of the biggest trends, themes, and emerging developments in the bond markets today. Hello, this is John Sim, Head of Securitized Products Research at J.P. Morgan. Today, I'm joined by Nick Masiunis, Head of Agency MBS and Prepayment Research, Kaustub Samant, Head of RMBS Credit Research, Chong Sin from our CMBS Research Team, and Amy Z, Head of ABS Research. Today, we'll share our thoughts on the state of the securitized products market. Good afternoon and welcome. Uh, so as mentioned, I'm John Sim and I run securitized products research. Uh, and today I've, I've gathered all of our securitized products team uh, leads along with uh, public finance to discuss our views on spreads and, and issuance on the market, obviously in the light of, of all the, the changes and uh, the dynamics that have occurred over the past few months um, rather rapidly. Um, and, and much faster than most of our, our outlook had forecasted. So it's kind of time for it to hit a little bit of a refresh on our views here. Obviously the focus, uh, some of the focus will be on, you know, the Fed monetary policy, balance sheet normalization. Um, you know, however, it feels like the market, if anything has probably got a better grasp on that, even though it's a header, it's a, obviously a big headline, um, the relative to some of the other news out there. Um, but I, I, you know, and I think the market's generally at a point where they, we feel like we either have a lot of it priced in, or we have a general sense of where we think spreads are most likely to go. Obviously, with a bit of a bit of a risk there, and then Nick from our agency team is going to dig into that um, that view uh, more more clearly. Uh, but obviously, the, the added volatility that emerged out of Ukraine, Russia, the geopolitical uncertainty there. Um, Commodity energy prices, uh, near, uh, you know, in, impact on near-term inflation, and potential potential on the consumer. What that means for more fundamentals uh, in the mortgage space. Uh, and then on the other side, you have so the easing of COVID-19 restrictions, which should be beneficial to growth um, and overall spending. Uh, but you know we have these lingering supply chains as well. So a lot of a lot to still to, to play with here, and a lot of uncertainty. Um, so it's really no surprise that the markets are struggling a bit here. Um, to put things in perspective, just looking at it more broadly, um, I think something like agency mortgages out, you know, roughly about 30 basis points from sort of the, mid the middle of last year. Um, take a look at uh, CMBS conduit. They're about 35 at this top of the capital structure, triple A's, you know, about 35, 40 wider from the middle of last year. Uh, triple B minus is almost 100 wider in the context of high yield. Uh, that's about 75 to 80 wider. Um, so we had some underperformance. Um, you look at, you know, not agency sector, uh, you know, price spreads there ranging anywhere from mid twos to almost three points back. Uh, and these really start to get into sort of the execution dynamics there, which Calstub on our team is going to spend some time on that and what it means for supply and, you know, what we're, where we see value there. And probably the most interesting one has been just what's happened in the credit risk transfer space with, uh, you know, B2s, at what, uh, almost a thousand, uh, in terms of spread and, and out hundreds of base points uh, since the middle of last year and, and looking like there's still challenging levels there. So interesting uh, and lots of potential opportunity, um, you know, but I think when, when we start to look at where we think we're going to shake out near year end, we had to come up with a basic narrative. And I think that general narrative is obviously in line with what our economists are thinking and that inflation does cool um, to, by, the, by the Q4 of this year to about 4.9%. Um, and uh, U.S. GDP goes to about 2.7, uh, and the 10-year uh, Treasury is about two and a half percent. So, you know, where would mortgage rates be then? You know, it's, that's a little bit loose and sticky, but you know, call it just probably in the mid fours. 
uh, maybe even a little bit higher than that by end of the year if we do kind of realize that 10-year move. Um, so in this setting, in that narrative of, of what how things play out, which seems a little more benign, then we, we think as our baseline view that, that credit should be tighter by year end in the mortgage space. Um, as we, we are likely to see things get a little worse before getting better. So we're not by all means trying to, to call a bottom here, um, but it's starting to feel like it's, it's time to, to look at opportunities more. Um, at the top of the capital structure, it could be a little more mixed um, and you'll see some of that in the views um, that we'll talk about that, you know, linking in agency mortgages with top of the capital structure and not agencies and CMBS and see how that, that dynamic plays out. Um, I think the key here, though, is that there's significant tail risk. Even though we have this baseline view, uh, tail risk is has is, is not been great at this time, broad uh, in, in quite some time. I do recommend looking at a good article, actually, that was published by our chief economist, Bruce Kasman, uh, titled, uh, There May Be Trouble Ahead, uh, Tail Risk in a World of Shocks. So if that doesn't say it all, you almost just need to hear the title. Um, but uh, before handing off to, to mortgages uh, with Nick, I, I want to just touch a little bit on, on home prices because we did publish something yesterday, an article uh, called Home Prices May Lose Some Steam. Uh, and there we just talk about uh, reiterating our views because obviously with all the challenges going on in the market, one of the things we started to get a lot of pushback on is, is our view on home prices. Um, while there, there are many reasons to want to throw up a lot of alarms, uh, we really haven't seen the data to support uh, lowering our growth expectation yet. And that, that, that expectation is about 12 and percent HPA in 2022. Um, purchase data uh, and demand still remains exceptionally strong. Uh, however, we don't think this data fully reflects higher mortgage rates at this point. So we need to, see, you know, we need to wait and see a little bit there. Um, and, but we also see supply and uh, vacancy rates at historic lows. So we need to see some of that data start to crack before we really um, start to make revisions. But we are watching it carefully because we do believe that affordability will become increasingly challenged. And that's the first place to watch. Um, and, and where we should really be looking for some cracks is would be in the FHA uh, purchase data. And this is where we're likely to see some potential problems emerge there with over about 60% of borrowers having a DTI greater than 40. Um, these tend to be high LTV borrowers as well. Um, that that 60% number of borrowers greater than 40 uh, DTI was about half of that five or six years ago. So a very rapid rise in high DTI lending in that space um, at a time when mortgage rates are rising. So we'll watch there. Uh, the good news is that the FHA does have a, or more than the FHA, the overall market has a playbook for um, how to handle mortgage delinquencies. We went through the financial crisis. We went, we went through the pandemic. And I don't think that we're going to see uh, forced liquidations through the FHA program if you do start to see problems emerge. So I think it, there will be a soft landing there, um, even if you do start to see things crack. Um, but we're, we are in a wait and see scenario for a lot of things here, home prices, the Fed, Russia, Ukraine, inflation. Um, so it pays to be cautious, um, but we do expect entry points are going to be near and do reiterate that we see SBG credit um, tighter by year end. Um, so with that, like, let's get into specifics here, what we mean by all that. Um, so I know we have a lot of people on, and Nick, um, can you tell us a little bit about what you're thinking about mortgage spreads um, and supply and the supply-demand dynamic uh, for, for agencies? Sure. Thanks, John. Um, so Agency MBS kind of led the widening. We've seen a lot uh, over a, a lot of spread products so far. And to put 
some of those numbers um, in context. The mortgage index is widened by around 30 basis points of Treasury OES since mid-October, um, whereas the current coupon is widened by like 50 basis points. So definitely matters which bonds you're talking about. Broadly, we're much wider. And the Fed's change in the QT policy has driven the bulk of this move for agency MBS. So investors went into last fall expecting that the Fed was going to taper purchases slowly and then reinvest paydowns for most of 2022. They sped up uh, the taper of the QE purchases. Uh, they're done with that now. And now it's looking pretty likely that runoff is going to start in May. And so we should get more details on the runoff plan in the March minutes when they come out on April 6th. But uh, we expect the Fed is going to do something very similar to what they did last time, just like Powell has indicated. And they're going to step up runoff caps by $10 billion per month at the next four meetings. It might also be you know, just step-ups every month, kind of like they were stepping down the QE purchases on a monthly basis. Um, but that will commence, we think, with the mid-May purchase cycle. Um, after being announced at the May 4th meeting. And then we think they'll hit a terminal cap of 40 billion per month uh, sometime in the fourth quarter. And that terminal cap doesn't matter so much at these rate levels because uh, we don't actually project monthly paydowns getting above 28 billion at this point. So it's also possible that terminal cap could just sit at 30 billion. In any event, we do think that the Fed wants to let basically all of their MBS paydowns run off. And, you know, there's, probably limited risk that they sell MBS in the very short term. But that is one downside risk that, you know, if inflation keeps running hot, they feel like they need to do something on the balance sheet, or if they express some additional preference to move to an all treasury balance sheet, um, you know, we might see sales a little bit sooner than uh, anticipated. But right now it's our base case. We don't see those for the next few years. So that still means that the private sector needs to absorb an extra you know, $150 billion in the second half of the year based on trade date from the Fed. And in addition, the Fed won't be cleansing the TBA float so that uh, rolls are going to weaken as a result. You're going to get the worst of the deliverable actually hitting those coupons. In addition to that, the market is facing another year of significant net issuance. So you know, the home price appreciation that's already been baked in over the past two years means that we could have another 700 billion of net issuance this year. And now, as, as John uh, um, indicated earlier, we do see uh, some, you know, storm clouds for uh, the housing market, basically in the form of much higher rates. So mortgage rates have surged 150 basis points in six months. And so if the housing market does end up weakening a bit in the second half of the year, um, then we could have a somewhat lower net forecast than we're currently looking for. But so far, we aren't seeing any signs of a slowdown in the MBA purchase application data. So it does look like for the spring seasonal upswing, we're still going to get that you know, hit of net supply. And it's going to be coming um, just as the Fed's backing away from the market. So um, in addition, even if we do see a slower pace of housing turnover, as well as a moderation in HPA, we still think that we could hit 500 billion net supply this year. So that's significantly more net supply uh, than we were seeing pre-COVID. So that means the private market's going to have to do a lot of lifting. And on that front, we think money managers and banks are going to be the ones who are going to pick up a lot of that slack. And money managers remain broadly underweight. Banks are sitting on a lot of cash. So we do think this is feasible if spreads you know, widen another 10 basis points from here, I think they'll look you know, very compelling to both of those kinds of investors. Uh, on the money manager front, there's some question about how mortgages look versus IG corporates, which are also quite wide. But if those spreads uh, you know, start to normalize a bit as well, I think that you know, there's a compelling case 
uh, based on long-term spreads for mortgages, uh, not to go above, you know, say 40 OAS for any, um, you know, uh, long period of time. On the coupon stack, we think that lower coupons are extremely rich. You're looking at twos, two and a halves that, you know, make up a, a huge chunk of the index, but are basically not trading much anymore because they've completely moved out of the origination window. They're basically locked up by the Fed, by banks, um, foreign investors. And so, um, you know, the technicals there are pretty tricky where you're getting a bunch of short covering and seeing again today where those spreads just keep grinding tighter. Uh, but the cash flows don't look particularly attractive to us. We don't think the duration hedge carry is good. The o we don't think the OES looks particularly compelling. Um, up the stack in the production coupons, things are more interesting. And now the production coupons are three and a half and fours. It's really you know moved substantially uh, in a short period of time. And as of last night in our packet, those um, you know, bonds were sitting at plus 37 and plus 44 base points of treasury OAS. Uh, now, those spreads, as we wrote about in our last weekly, are not entirely tangible in the sense that, you know, if you actually take in the pools this month, you'll get a deliverable that'll give you a spread that's something like that. But as new supply keeps hitting the production coupons, and those are the bonds you can actually, you know, buy and are actually being offered out, uh, the deliverable shifts should shave off at least 10 to 15 basis points of OAS from those spread levels. So then we'll be back to levels that aren't exactly long-term rich, but they're not really long-term cheap either. And so we prefer to be in pools if you're going to express um, an overweight in mortgages right now. We do think those TBAs are going to need to widen a bit more. Um, and so uh, for that reason, overall, we still think there's probably a, a bit of widening in the mortgage space that needs to occur before we get the the money manager and bank buying, but um, overall mortgages are not looking, you know, nearly as rich as they've looked in uh, a two-year span here as the Fed is starting to really pull back from the market. So that's it from me. Um, John, back to you. Great. Great. Thanks, Nick. Not nearly as rich. That's the key. <laughs> um, so CalStub, I know, uh, I know, uh, we, you know, we heard Nick here and, 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 lot going on in the mortgage credit space, um, you know, supply obviously probably being a big theme, um, but, you know, we've seen a lot of moves in spread, particularly, you know, in credit risk transfer, probably the most notable and, and even with, um, you know, jumbo space and non-QM, et cetera. Um, so, you know, where do you, where do you kind of see things uh, shaking out in, in your space in terms of spreads for the year? Um, how about your, you know, if you have any changes to your issuance forecast, and then ultimately, like, where do you see value um, in, in the mortgage credit space? Um, in, in, in the mortgage credit space, you know, I think, I think like all credit assets, I think the Fed's the biggest risk. Um, the concern, I think, for credit markets is that uh, sort of a hawkish Fed that's raising rates at every meeting impacts growth. And you kind of don't know what breaks in the economy, right? So I think until the Fed stays hawkish, I think credit spreads will have to reflect that uncertainty around growth, around future growth. And so we expect spreads to stay elevated in the near term. I think as we head towards year end, I think we're factoring the best case scenario, which is that the Fed can imagine it's going to thread the needle between inflation and growth. So it managed to curb inflation and nothing really materially breaks and economic growth is, you know, is, 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 is fine. And then as the market kind of look towards 2023, the Fed is less hawkish. There are fewer inflation concerns and that's sort of the momentum for spreads to come in. So 
I think there's a long way of saying we have some tightening factor into this forecasts from today. So we, for example, in CRTM twos, we think you know spreads could maybe come in at two two seventy five. They're currently at three fifty. So tights pre COVID were one eighty five. So still wider than where we were, uh, not just pre COVID, but also kind of the tights post COVID. Uh, but but will still be tighter than sort of the current levels. Uh, in terms of what's changed in our issuance forecast, I think this is a positive for mortgage credit is that I think a lot of the supply that was on the calendar for 2022 has been has been taken away, particularly in 2.0. Uh, you know, we expected to see kind of a $100 billion year in 2022. And I think that's sort of out of the table. Uh, there's very little ARB left in 2.0 issuance. Uh, it makes sense to deliver those loans to the GSCs or to bank portfolios. So across second homes investors and jumbo we reduced that forecast to 60 so that's a 20 billion dollar reduction year over year um we raised our non-qm issuance forecast a touch just because i think it was light a little bit um and then we moved crt issuance a touch tighter from 40 billion this year to 35 a lot of that is just due to higher rates which will be factored into probably second half of this year type supply um, but also because the gse are retaining more risk um, so they've retained more of the subordinate tranches in those recent deals. And I think that that has to be factored into our issuance forecast as well. So all, with all of that, gross issuance is about 175 across all products. Um, in terms of where we see value, I think a lot of mortgage credit is trading at sort of either distressed levels or levels where it doesn't make sense to do these deals. Already talked about 2.0, but even for CRT, we've argued that it makes more sense for the GSCs just all the loans on balance sheet without without the without CRT. Um, so I think given that it it just it's what what I think what that's telling you is that there are very attractive entry points now available across all of these products. Um, but I think you have to be respectful of that macro backdrop. And you know the thing that we talked about, which is fundamentally just uncertainty around growth and what what the Fed can do uh, in terms of, you know, macroeconomic growth and what sort of tail risk that, that exists in the, in the, in the economy. So I think all that said, just re- recommends taking kind of short duration bonds at the top of the capital structure. I think we'd also look cheap. So today non QM, uh, looks better than a lot of other structured credit assets, spreads are now wider there than in new issue CLOs, you know, both sectors of call risk, uh, obviously non QM only has, has, has extension risk on, on, on top of that, but I think that's sort of getting priced in pretty well. Um, so that sector looks cheap. I think 2.0, which we always just compare that to agency MBS. Uh, and you think you should buy it if it's giving you much more spread than agency MBS. And I think it's, it is definitely doing that right now. So that's probably another sector I would, I would, I would look at. Um, but frankly, a lot of our asset classes look, look cheap either on a historical basis, on a best X basis. Uh, it's just a matter of where you want to be in the cap stack and, and sort of what is your, what is your macro view um, today? Uh, looking at kind of six months or so. Great, great. Yeah, the supply dynamic in your space has been the concern. And I think um, it's been at least, it seems like it's just continues to get priced in, particularly in the credit risk transfer side. Um, the So if you look a little bit more at CMBS, um, you know, we have Chong on as well. And uh, you know, it's come under some pressure too. It was a little bit lagged. You know, earlier in the year we were looking at like agency CMBS, and that had held in pretty tight. And then eventually it kind of moved wider with with mortgages, um, with agency uh, resi mortgages. Um, but how about um, you know last cash flow AAA conduits, AAA minus uh, 
Sean, where do we, where do we think uh, spreads are going to go there? Um, they've come under a lot of pressure already. Um, and then how much, how, we, how do we think we want to change our issuance forecast uh, in that, in this context uh, across the various uh, product segments? We may have lost Sean. Well, why don't we Hello, let can you hear me? Oh, we got you, uh, there, there you we are. go. Sorry about that. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Uh, so uh, just to take stock of where we are today, uh, last cash for AAA is in conduit, about 30 wider year to date. Uh, fixed rate agency CMBS, 30 to 35 base points wider. Triple B minus is about 75 base points wider year to date. Uh, more widening if you kind of look at where we were in Q3 of 2021. Uh, but basically, you know, I think we've we've had this spread widening sort of pressure all year long. I would say over the last couple of weeks, though, we've seen some stabilization as we've seen uh, new issue supply, at least in the conduit and series CLO space, slow down uh, on, on the back of all the volatility that we've seen. Um, something that we had been sort of talking about, talking about for a few weeks now, but that sort of uh, better sort of technical picture has helped uh, spread stabilize here. Um, that said, though, I think, you know, I sort of echo what, what Kostov sort of mentioned as we sort of look beyond where we are today into the next six to 12 months, let's say, um, assuming that our, all of our sort of macro calls are correct, that we, we do uh, end up with relatively robust growth outlook uh, into the second half and, and first half of next year, second half of this year and, and first half of next year, uh, the setup should point to uh, spread tightening across, across the capital stack, more so uh, towards triple B minuses because we've seen a lot of widening there compared to, let's say, high yield. Uh, for example, right now where triple B minus sit today, uh, they're trading wider to to high yield. And we haven't really seen that since December 2020. So, you know, if we had to sort of make a call there, those those look those do look pretty cheap relative to high yield. But the the question still remains whether in the interim, uh, before we get to a point where we see uh, lower inflation numbers and maybe growth holding up, are we going to continue to see volatility persist? And I think we, we kind of believe that. So uh, until we get to that point, I, I think we are at, in a space where we could see volatile spreads over the near term, uh, which should impact issuance as well. So when we think about issuance, um, you know, we did take down our issuance numbers from 170 billion in private label to 165 billion in total. Uh, pretty marginal difference, only because we haven't really seen disorderly sort of spread widening in our sector to a point where uh, securitization profitability is really suffering that much. I think uh, where we took down our forecast was in the conduit space, where uh, our previous forecast was 40 billion. We took it down to 35 billion largely because this is a sector where we see programmatic issuance. And we essentially lost about a month of issuance because of the volatility that we've seen over the past month or so. Uh, now we are seeing more, uh, some of these come back into the market as again, uh, spreads have stabilized, um, but essentially we've lost about a month of issuance. So uh, coming into this year, we were relatively, I think, bullish compared to some of our competitors in terms of our conduit forecast, but we've become more conservative understanding that vol, vol can persist. And, and when we have periods of, of spread volatility, that sort of slows issuance down more so in this sector. Um, SASB, we've kept it uh, at 80 billion because we really haven't seen much disruption there. There were a couple of uh, high profile office SASB deals that were put on pause uh, last month or so, but other sectors and industrials, uh, multifamily, uh, even some hotel deals are getting done here. Uh, and, and that's a sector that has bespoke issuance. So issuers can kind of uh, choose to issue better performing sectors. So 
uh, really not, not much of a concern there. A lot of it driven by investor acquisition activity. And then Series CLO is just about, we, we also kept that unchanged at 50 billion uh, uh, from our original forecast. Now, this is where we probably have the most downside risk in, ter in terms of our forecast. We were kind of wondering if we should take this down, but we've had such a strong sort of start to the year and issuance 14 billion year to date, just in the first two months, um, that we are sort of on pace to, to hit that $50 billion, billion dollar number, even if we, we do see periods of volatility that disrupt issuance. And, and the fact remains that the sector is largely still backed by multifamily that still enjoys pretty strong fundamentals. So uh, there will be a lot of lending, lending activity in, in this space going forward. Uh, so we are we are keeping that intact for now. And just to come back to the, the the spread forecast again, we are looking for tighter spreads into year end. Uh, at the top of the stack in last cash flow triple A's, we're looking for uh, J plus ninety by year end. Uh, that's that's tighter from one hundred three today. So not a ton of tightening. And then uh, towards again, we are expecting a spread curve flattening bias. So down in triple B minuses, we expect to end the year by. Uh, year at J plus 375, that's uh, in from 440 today. Um, in terms of what we like, uh, similar to, I think, CalStub, we do like being in lower duration, high quality products for the time being. Uh, we've highlighted some of these opportunities before, but some of the SASB AAA floaters look pretty, pretty uh, attractive here at 120 to 130 DM uh, for very high quality products. Um, agency CMBS floaters also look very attractive here versus uh, CMO floaters uh, as well. These are also uncapped, so that they have this disadvantage, um, and 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 uh, so they, they seem to be trading much wider uh, to some of the higher cap uh, floaters in the CMO CMO space. And then also some of the seasoned last Castro triple A's, some of the one to three year seasoned triple A's. Uh, if we sort of adjust for a lot of the convexity risks there, mostly default related convexity risks. Um, these these are giving you something in the in the context of let's say uh, J plus 90 85 to 90 area. Uh, so again, those look those look interesting as well. Obviously, the challenge there is sort of sourcing a lot of this a lot, a lot of these opportunities. But to the extent that you do see these in BWIC, we do think they are attractive, uh, depending on the profile. Um, and, th and that's it for me. I'll, I'll stop there. Thanks, John. So the I think a lot of the the consistency here is is that um, so far is is around uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. <laughs> like most of us have spreads tighter by year end. Maybe Nick being a little bit on the outside of that, um, but not quite trying to call the bottom here either. So, um, Amy from on the ABS side, um, what are you thinking? I, I know that uh, your sector tends to be a little more resilient through these times. Um, and how, what have you been seeing there? And are you planning on Changing your spread forecasts, uh, and and if you are also, what what do you would, would you be changing on the issuance side as well? Sure, thanks, John. Yeah, the ABS market is definitely resilient. We are very high quality, uh, vast majority investment grade, highly triple A cash surrogates, um, and our spreads in last couple of weeks, at least the benchmark indicative ones, are starting to find some firmer footing. Um, although, you know, off the run is still very choppy and all over the place. Um, so the bottom line is fundamentally our outlook, economic outlook, as well as ABS structures, uh, the consumers, it's all still quite robust. And despite all of the headwinds 
and potential shocks materializing uh, in the first couple of months of the year, um, the fundamental growth outlook and the consumer health is still pretty good and certainly um, not as uh, uh, not have not deteriorated to the point of what the spreads would suggest, right? So the spread we still see as very much uh, more technical and macro rather than EDS credit specific. Um, hence, we do think that once the volatility does die down and the market adjusts to this new environment, um, our spreads should recover as well. Um, and we are starting to see some of that led by plain vanilla asset classes. Um, but we did reset our spread forecasts wide of our original ones that we did in November, mainly because those November levels were going to be all-time uh, post-financial crisis tights. And uh, the investors are rethinking their spread targets and yield targets and where they can buy at. And every other credit market has widened out as well. Uh, so with all the new risk factors in, well, with all the elevator risk factors in place, it's uh, unlikely probably for us to recover all the way back to set new types. Um, having said that, again, fundamentals are quite benign. Um, we still got the tightest labor market ever, which is very good for consumer health. Um, and you know, so out from that perspective, uh, EBS investors still need to put money to work as well. And um, ABS issuers need funding as well. Uh, so that is still going to be uh, supporting ABS spread recovery. Now, we do think probably the more um, pronounced tiering will persist, um, and that's tiering between top tier sponsors versus weaker sponsors with less history in the market or uh, on the run plain vanilla asset classes like credit cards versus uh, unproven sectors that have shorter history uh, in the consumers, unsecure consumer space. Um, and that tiering should persist because those off the run esoteric space, they are more volatile, they are higher beta, the sponsors are higher risk as well. Uh, not that fundamentals necessarily have turned against them, but it's just potentially they react much more to what's going on in the broader market and, and to headline news. Um, so some of that tiering will probably persist uh, more than they have in previous uh, two years. And where we are in terms of spread at current levels is probably you know, slightly wide of pre-pandemic. So early 2020, the first couple of months of 20, that's where we are. Um, and unless you know, we have more surges on COVID or escalation of geopolitical risk and runaway inflation, uh, which the Fed should be on top of now. Um, we don't expect spreads hopefully will stabilize rather than blow out further. Um, hence, we are positive on our spreads target. Um, our supply, we haven't adjusted lower. We're still expecting overall 265 billion, pretty much flat to last year's record place. And that's mainly, again, the consumer is still expected to uh, spend. Um, and you know, and some of the ABS sectors are probably less sensitive to interest rates and housing and, and mortgages, right? Uh, you, you still need that car to get to work. You still need to put gas in the car. You still need to buy groceries with credit card, even if things are more expensive. So if anything, demand for credit uh, is still going to be quite robust. Issuers are still going to come to market. So, you know, our 
auto forecast might be a tad high, but it's not running that much slower than last year. Uh, but overall, we're going to balance out to probably roughly the same, not much lower than our original supply forecast. So that hasn't changed. Um, which brings us to our recommendations. We still like student loans. It's a high quality asset class, private credit student loans. Uh, and unlike off the run sectors like marketplace lending, which is the cheapest sector, uh, it's not as volatile on, on to those downside risks. That's all the time we have today. Thanks everyone for listening. Please keep a lookout for future episodes of At Any Rate. Stay tuned for more episodes of At Any Rate, J.P. Morgan's global research podcast series. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read J.P. Morgan Research Reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2022, J.P. Morgan Chasing Co. All rights reserved. This episode was recorded on March 24th, 2022.